chapter 14. John chapter 14. know if that's me doing something wrong or what. John chapter 14. Continuing our study, I'd like to just read um, verse 1 and following. Remind us where we were in the last sermon on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, before Cody stepped up and preached for us. And then where we will be this morning. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. We recall as Jesus is giving his farewell discourse in many ways to the disciples. Judas has left the room. Iscariot, that is. Here they are. Jesus says to them, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son." If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So just as a recap from our last study, our last sermon, we have the Holy Spirit of God, this God-given helper, this God-given helper, the paraclete, the helper, the spirit of truth, And we remember that He is our guider to truth and the glorifier of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God points us to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God glorifies Jesus Christ. 
And then we had the grand yet grave departure of the Lord as He was getting ready to depart from them. And then the glorious resurrection of Christ. Because He lives, you will live also. And the guaranteed life for the believer. In our study this morning, verse 21 through verse 26. In our title this morning, Loving the Lord and Keeping His Word. Oftentimes in the world, we find that things are very unclear. They are nebulous to us. Things are uncertain. We cannot be sure of certain things we are told at times. We look to find observable features or characteristics. Something we call proof. Right? If you are in a court of law, if you're going to court, there's supposed to be proof of something done wrong in criminal court. And the old saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. Proof is undeniable. It is without a doubt. Or we would say there's no doubt about it. We look for if-then statements. If this is indeed one truth, then this must be also, therefore, a statement. This is exactly what we find in the Scriptures. Proof. We find this in John 14. And we find this in John 15, 8. Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That's what Christ says. So our first point for us is God's call to love and obey. And I will again pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. Father, once again, I, I need the help of the Holy Spirit of God. I need you desperately to breathe upon your word. If there be any dead dry bones in here this morning, that you would breathe upon those dead dry bones and give them life. I am in desperate need of your help to preach your word this morning and that I would do so for the glory of Christ. In his name I pray, amen. God's call to love and obey. Proof. Prove to be his disciple. That's what Jesus says. And we'll see that when we get to John 15. And then we see verse 21 for us this morning in chapter 14, our first point, God's call to love and obey. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, present tense, is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and disclose myself to him. So some key words for us to remember here. Key words. Keeps. When we think of keep, it's not like I give you something and you say, okay, thank you, I'll keep it. No, this is to obey. To keep is to follow. It is to obey. Loves, four times we see here in this verse. Present tense, 
at least twice, which is shown by following and obeying Jesus Christ, keeping His commandments. And then this word disclose, revealing or making something known to someone. The phrase, he who has my commandments and keeps them, goes back into the days of Moses, when the law was given at Mount Sinai. We recall in John chapter 1, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, Jesus, excuse me, grace and truth were re- realized through Jesus Christ. After Moses threw down the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain, Moses prayed, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I might find favor in your sight. And then he prayed this prayer, I pray you, show me your glory. So as we consider what Jesus says here, we look back to the giving of the law, We look back to Old Testament theophanies for the background of this verse. He who has my commandments, I will disclose myself to him. Has my commandments and keeps them. Possession of his commandments, understanding of his commandments, and also keeps and obeys his commandments. Jesus is calling these His commandments. Once again, we see Jesus' claim to deity. We, he can do this. Call them My commandments because indeed He is God. Keeps His commandments. What does this mean? What did it mean in the Old Testament? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your hearts and with all of your soul and with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Command allegiance to Yahweh and obedience to Him. Love for God is shown as the scriptures tell us here in this section where we are in context. The love of God is shown by obedience to what God says. Jesus says in this verse, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. We have heard this over and over. Why? Because the scriptures teach it. Over and over for us. Chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. First John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God. What is the love of God? That we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Second John 6. And this is the love. And this is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So to summarize, love for Jesus is not a matter of lip service. It is not just agreeing certain truths about Jesus Christ. True love for Jesus Christ is shown by 
fruit. As Jesus says, prove to be my disciple. Specifically, Jesus says here, by keeping his commandments, by following after him, by obeying him. He repeats this in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This one of the, another great thing about expositional preaching is, and verse by verse, as we come to passages like this, we cannot get around it. We cannot get around what the Lord says. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him, he says. The one who loves Jesus will be loved by the Father, and Jesus will love him. And Jesus will reveal or disclose himself to him. Which, in that, that statement, Jesus does not explain here, but if we go back to what Moses says, Moses asked for a visible manifestation. Of God, whereas Jesus is manifested to us through His Word by the Holy Spirit in a true experiential way in our lives as Christians. So we have God's call to love and obey. It is clear, crystal clear for us. If we love Him, we will obey Him, we will keep His commandments. And how do we do that? Well, we have God's abiding presence with His people. Secondly, God's abiding presence with His people. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Here we have Judas, not Iscariot, one time mentioned in this gospel. And as I mentioned Wednesday night, we can understand why there is a distinction between this Judas and Judas Iscariot. Put yourself in this Judas's shoes. Would you not want to be distinguished from Judas Iscariot? You knew John. You would ask John, if you're going to write anything about me, my name is Judas, make sure that you put not Iscariot in there. I would want to be distinguished. If I had the same name. This Judas is mentioned in Luke 6, uh, 6.16 and Acts chapter 1 verse 16 as either uh, the son or brother of James. Some say he is the same person as Thaddeus in Matthew chapter 10. He asks Jesus a question. And rephrasing this question, why are you, going, uh, why are you not going to reveal yourself to everyone but only to us? Why are you going to do that? He, like other Jews, expected this, uh, this showdown, this Messiah to come in a way that all would notice. And it would be, uh, he would be coming to reign as a political king. And this is what they were looking for, and this is what they were hoping for. What has happened, he's saying, to change this? Why just disclose yourself to us? Not to everyone. Well, Jesus answers his question. He says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In verse 23, again. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him. We will come to him, excuse me. We will come to him and make our abode with him. We will abide with him. We will live with him. Jesus' reply begins with an if 
statement, an if uh, beginning, an if and then then, similar to verse 15. If anyone loves Christ, he will keep the words of Christ. Verse 15 was the plural you. Here we find singular, uh, the word you in the singular. To Judas, not Iscariot, particularly. Each individual professing disciple has to reconcile with the truth that if one claims to love Jesus Christ, it will show in how the person lives. It will show by the person's fruit. Following and obeying Jesus. And Jesus says, My Father will love him, which is similar to verse 21. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. Truly remarkable to consider this morning that if you're a Christian, God loves you. And that cannot change. Nothing can change that. Our love for one another can wax and wane. Often it does. But God's love for His people does not change. Our love for our Lord changes. Hopefully we are, in our sanctification, we are loving our Lord more and more. Our love for our Lord grows. And if we're honest, sometimes it's not what it ought to be in our lives. But the promise the Lord says here, we will come to Him and make our abode with Him. The one who trusts in Christ and follows Christ and loves Him. What does this mean? Verse 17 clues us into this. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. And I mentioned uh, that we were going to talk about Lord willing, about this text, this verse here, and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as far as the Old Testament saints, but we're not going to do that this morning. We may do that, Lord willing, next Sunday. It is the Holy Spirit of God who indwells every believer. It says here, we, we will come to Him and make our abode. We, the Father and the Son, in and through the Spirit of God. The Reformation Study Bible, a good tool, by the way, if you don't have one, consider getting one, says this, As the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, so also the Father and the Son do so through the Spirit's presence. Very simple but profound. This reference, uh, this verse, builds off what has previously taken place in redemptive history. As I reminded us before, where they were at, the disciples were at in redemptive history, and where we are in redemptive history. There is a difference, right? And in the Old Testament, God's dwelling among His people in the tabernacle, and then in the temple, and then Pentecost will take place. And this, in John 14, was before Pentecost, as we know. And then, the Holy Spirit in the new heaven and new earth. Revelation 21, verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. In Revelation 21, verse 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty was the Lamb, and the Lamb are its temple. 
The focus, though, that Jesus hones in on here this morning, this present reality of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and as we apply this, the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. But he who does not love me, here's the contrast, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. This is the logical conclusion to what Jesus has been saying in verse 15, verse 21, verse 23. He who loves Christ keeps his word. He who keeps his word loves Christ. But the contrast, the conclusion, he who does not love him does not keep his word. He who does not love Jesus Christ is not following Jesus Christ. Maybe pretending to follow Jesus Christ. But you are not, if that's indeed you, this morning. Does not keep his word, meaning obeying his teaching. Or as Hendrickson says, as the rule and doctrine of life. When someone asks you, what is the rule and doctrine of your life? Who do you serve? Do you say Jesus emphatically? Do you say following the Lord emphatically? That is the rule of my life. That is the doctrine of my life, to follow what Christ says. Loving Jesus, keeping his word, is he Lord of your life this morning? Is he precious to you? A conversation with a man recently kind of reminded me of uh, Sam Elliott in his prime, I guess conversation with this man, thought he was a good person. Indeed, he was a nice man. He talked to him about his sin and about Jesus. He admitted he believed in Jesus, but he admitted to, when you pinned him down, he admitted to believing in a Jesus of his own imagination. A little bit of this from the scripture and a little bit of what he believed, a Jesus in his own imagination. At least he was honest Enough to say that, to admit that. He admitted that Jesus was not Lord of his life. At least he was honest and not pretending. So to summarize for us, loving Jesus is shown in one's life of obedience to God's revealed will. Following Jesus, the word of God, all of it. God's call to love and obey. God's abiding presence with His people. Thirdly, God the Holy Spirit teaches His people. In verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. There is, another, there is a tone of departure here with Jesus as He says this. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you as He is getting ready to, to go to His to the crucifixion. These things, this particular discourse given to the disciples that was rapidly drawing to a close. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Father will send the Spirit in Christ's name. Yet in chapter 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So who's doing the sending here? We should consider the the Spirit will be sent from the, the Father and the Son because it's attributed to both, he is attributed to both being sent by the Father and the Son. Jesus is leaving here the scene. The Holy Spirit will be coming, he says. And this particular statement, verse 26, has a particular reference to the disciples. It was these men who would be the ones who would write the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As Richard Phillips suggests, verse 26 explains much regarding the inspiration that the Spirit would teach the apostles the doctrine that would pass on in Scripture and cause them to remember the things that Jesus had taught them during His earthly ministry. Several times, John mentioned that the disciples did not fully grasp what Jesus said, and He would not, they would not fully grasp what Jesus was teaching after, until after His resurrection. Chapter 2, verse 22, when He was raised from the dead, His disciples, disciples remembered that He said this. And in chapter 12, verse 16, these things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him. And ultimately, the disciples would grasp the things of the Lord in fuller measure when the Spirit came at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring these things to your remembrance. Great application for us as well. As the Holy Spirit of God brings Scripture back to our minds at times. The Spirit of God brings the Word of God to our minds. But if we do not know the Word, if we're not reading the Word, if we're not memorizing the Word, if we're not letting the Word marinate in our mind and in our heart, do not expect the Word to come to you. Do not expect to have a closed Bible and say, at one point, the Holy Spirit of God is going to bring this Scripture to my mind that I do not know that I've never read. No, it's Scripture that has been heard, Scripture that has been read, and He'll bring it to your mind at the time when He sees fit. To remember something, you must have known it before. You must have been exposed to it before. We don't say, oh, I remember that, even though I've never even seen it, read it, touched it, whatever it may be. Just like this man I was speaking about earlier, during evangelism the other day, one of my friends mentioned the lost person about his heart, about the heart of man, that that being the issue, the Holy Spirit of God immediately brought Mark chapter 7, to my mind, I had my Bible, I opened the Word of God, and I said, here's what it says right here. That wasn't me, that was the Holy Spirit of God bringing that Scripture reference to my mind, which I have studied before. So we are to pray for that, that the Holy Spirit of God would indeed bring these Scriptures to our mind that maybe we have read long ago and have forgotten God's call to love and obey, God's abiding presence with His people, God the Holy Spirit 
teaches his people. So what does that mean for us today? We see what it meant for the disciples. Jesus says, I am leaving, but the helper is coming, the spirit of truth, and he will teach you all things, and he will give you remembrance of these things. And we see that the Holy Spirit of God brings to our memory scripture at times as well. But more, just as the Holy Spirit was their helper, he is our helper. The Spirit of truth would teach them all things, and he teaches us all things. For the remainder of our time, we will focus on the Holy Spirit as our teacher. For most of our time. The Holy Spirit indwells each one of us, those of us who are Christians, those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. If you do not belong to Jesus Christ, you do not have the Holy Spirit of God. We understand that. We have the internal teaching of the Holy Spirit. We are taught by God, just as John 6.45 says. And 1 John 2, verse 20 teaches us that we have an anointing from the Holy One. The Holy Spirit teaches us how. How does this happen? Well, how does this not happen? I'd like to reference John Owen. He says, by not direct inspiration. That is, not by bringing new sacred truths from God directly to the minds of men. This is how he taught the apostles and the prophets the inspiration of the Scriptures. The canon is closed. There are no new revelations for us. We have the Word of God. And we are taught by the Holy Spirit the Word of God as we study the Word of God. And Owen continues, nor does God grant new revelations to preserve His people from error. So don't be expected to be preserved from error by learning something new, some new teaching that is in contrary to God's word. Or says, well, this was old and and we have something new now, so we're going to follow after that. The teaching referred to is his enabling us to discern, to know, and to understand the mind and will of God as revealed in the scriptures. And that's what we want. That's what we want. The Holy Spirit teaches us, enlightens our mind to understand His Word. And this does not mean by any stretch that we can neglect our duties of diligently reading, studying, and meditating upon His Word. But we need the help of the Holy Spirit of God to teach us, guide us in His Word. The psalmist of Psalm 119 pleads over and over and over and over with God to help him understand his word, to help him walk in his word, to keep his word, to revive him according to his word, and to teach him his word. We, brothers and sisters, must plead with God the same exact way. The Holy Spirit of God teaches us by giving us understanding. Psalm 119, verse 34. By giving us wisdom. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And along with 
the inward teaching of the Holy Spirit. We also need, as John Owen put it as well, the outward means of teaching and learning. So not only do we need the inward teaching of the Holy Spirit of God to teach us, we need the outward teaching and learning. What does that mean? Well, the Ethiopian eunuch is a great example. He could not understand the text. He needed someone to help him. God has given pastors and teachers to teach for, for what reason? So that disciples of Christ may learn. Teachers, if you think you have arrived and you do not need to sit under elders and hear preaching and ter- teaching, that is just plain and simple arrogance. That is saying, God, what you have said in your word is not good enough. I'm going to do it my way. So there's hindrances to our understanding. So we, we understand the Holy Spirit of God. We, we rely on the Holy Spirit of God to study his word, to reveal what God's word says, uh, what it means for us. And just a quick side note, we also have mighty shoulders that we stand on that help us. These things are called commentaries as well. Very important. If you sit under a preacher and he says, well, I never go to commentaries, I just read the Word of God, I would encourage you to probably don't listen to him because he thinks he doesn't need any other help from shoulders that we stand on, like the Puritans, the Reformers, Spurgeon, and so on and so forth. Because a lot of ways they know way better than we know because they've studied this and God has gifted them in many ways. But we don't land on them. We land on what the Word of God teaches. Always. Always. So there's hindrances to our understanding, though. And this is for, for all of us as we study the Word of God, as we seek to understand the mind of God. And John Owen gave me these at all, as well. He gave me these as well. And it's not a two-way conversation with John Owen. He's the one talking to me, so don't worry about me. It's not a communication going on since he's dead. But you can, don't be, as a side note, another side note, don't be intimidated by the Puritans and old works, especially because now, specifically Reformation Heritage books and other places, are updating the English so that it's more understandable for our modern tongue. And some will say, well, no, I can't do that. I'll go back. Well, that's fine. Let them do that. But if you want to read the Puritans and you say, I just can't take the old language, but it's still preserved and it is more understandable, by all means, go for it. John Owen says, he gives six examples for us, six corruptions that hinder us from understanding the mind of God by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. So everyone in here needs to pay attention this morning because uh, my understanding would be that everyone in here who's a Christian wants to understand the mind of God, wants to understand the Word of God. And we want to see, are there possible hindrances? Yes. And John Owen gives six hindrances. Let's look at them, and I'll add a few details here and there, but he gives six. So this is, this is all from him. First, Pride or self-confidence in our own wisdom and ability of mind to understand all the duties we owe to God. 
pride or self-confidence in our own wisdom, ability of mind to understand all the duties we owe to God. This goes hand in hand with what Jesus calls us to. Loving Him, keeping His commandments, proving to be His disciples. So under this heading, we can remain in ignorance and therefore be led into foolishness and errors. If this describes us, pride or self-confidence in our own wisdom and ability of mind to understand all the duties we owe to God. Saying, I don't have to follow that, I can just do this. And we say, oh, this is, this is just what I think. This is what it means to me. The Christianity, this is what it means to follow him to me. You will be led into foolishness and errors. And this can lead to some of the dumbest and weirdest conclusions. And we hear those today. Speaking to someone, I, I forget, a couple of, yeah, it was a couple we were with a couple of nights ago, talking about a certain particular uh, perspective that is popular. And I'm thinking in my head, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I won't tell you what it is, so don't ask. Professing Christians, though. And it can, if you come to certain conclusions, it will lead you down further trails. You do not want to go down. It will distract you from following Christ. It will distract you from doing what you should be doing with the local church. Secondly, Owen, again, another hindrance for understanding the mind of God. Love of honor and praise among men. Love of honor and praise among men. So it's an obstacle against the admission of sacred light and truth, he says. Thirdly, holding stubbornly to a corrupt tradition. Holding stubbornly to corrupt tradition and to deep-rooted errors. Now, we don't find corrupt tradition or deep-rooted errors in the Word of God. We find these man-made trying to base this on the Word of God and saying this is what we must hold to, and this is what makes us holy. Holding stubbornly to corrupt teaching and to deep-rooted errors. This prevents men from coming to true spiritual wisdom and understanding. So in our vernacular, we would say, or from, from the book of Hebrews, we would say that someone who is generally a Christian that is um, under this type of mindset for a season will remain a babe in Christ and will not grow, cannot receive solid meat, will only want the milk, and the meat will seem to them uh, reprehensible, won't understand it. Or the person might be lost. Under this heading as well, we have to be willing to cast off erroneous theological understandings. When I was converted, the theology I believed then for the first several years, I do not believe anymore. 
Why? Because I've arrived? No, it's from, from uh, the theological grid that God has allowed me to obtain over study, over seminary, over listening and cutting my teeth under solid men. To say, not that I think I'm arrived and correct in all things, but I have a theological grid now. Not to be ashamed that what I learned early on was, was erroneous in so many ways. We have to be willing to say that. We have to be willing to say and be teachable and say, this thing I'm holding to is wrong. And people are telling me it is wrong and it is erroneous according to the scriptures. I must be willing to listen to that. Casting off erroneous theological understandings. Fourthly, spiritual laziness. Spiritual laziness. Reluctance to make an effort to come to a right understanding of Scripture. We, we see this all the time. I, maybe someone has, will make an excuse, well, I just don't have the time to study this out, I'm just going to hold to this. Well, that's not a good excuse. Um, you want the truth or do you not? Do you want to understand these things or do you not? Do you want to remain in a spiritual lazy position or, or, or do you not? Reluctant to make an effort to come to a right understanding of Scripture. Reluctant to sit under more teachings than just Sunday morning. Reluctant to say, I'm not going to listen to the sermon audio throughout the week or whatever it is. I'm not going to listen to Ligonier throughout the week or what it is, whatever it is. I'm going to listen to something else that has no godliness in it whatsoever. Expect to remain spiritual, spiritually lazy then and under deep-rooted errors that may come your way. And under this spiritual laziness, we also see parroting ridiculous phrases like the world does. You know the world, when we act, interact with people of the world, they have these certain phrases that they repeat. And we say, you know, where did you really get this? Is this from study and, 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 and such? And does you really believe this? And No, it's parroting. We, we can see that. We realize that. Let us not fall into that trap as well. Just because so-and-so theologian says it. Fifthly, love of sin. Love of sin can cause us to hate the truth which condemns that sin. So go around the scripture and say, oh, this one describes me. I'm just going to skip over that chapter. No, we go through that chapter and say, God, help, change me. Change me with this sin that I need change in. Sixthly, satanic temptations and suggestions. Satanic temptations and suggestions that hinder men from discerning the mind of God as revealed in the scripture. Very dangerous. And last thing Owen says for us this morning, that only the Holy Spirit can remove these hindrances and obstacles from our minds. So we can't just do it in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit of God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two. I'll just start in verse one. I'll read quickly. When I came to you, 
Brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear, much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages of our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, And then here's our focus right now, this morning. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world. Contrast but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God, things which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Just a few observations here. We see that Paul uses we a few times in in these verses. The Holy Spirit helps them to interpret the Scriptures. And he also helps us to interpret the scriptures. So we read in verse 10, we saw that, yes, this applies to me as a Christian, as the Spirit of God teaches me as a Christian. The Spirit of God, the contrast to that is the Spirit of this world. Foolish wisdom of the world. The Spirit of the Antichrist, 1 John chapter 4. But the one who is submitted to the Spirit will be guided by the Spirit and taught by the Spirit. So the question is, throughout the week, who is teaching you? Who is discipling you? What Spirit is discipling you and discipling me throughout the week? Loving Jesus Christ and keeping His Word. Does that describe you this morning? Is Jesus first and foremost in your life? Is He your all in all? God says we are to have no other gods before Him. Is Jesus your Lord? Do you love Him? Peter asked this question, uh, Jesus asked this question of Peter three times later on in the Gospel of John. Is your life described as walking in obedience to Jesus, as a way of living? If not, you cannot say you love Him. 
The scriptures tell us in 1 John, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Sent his son to die for us. And the love we have for people and the love we have for God is couched in the love that he has shown us. To die in our place, to take our sin upon himself, to absorb the wrath that we deserved, the punishment that we deserved, the payment that we could never pay. Oh, what great love he has shown us. Paid in full. Why? Why is that? No greater love knows no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Does that love he has shown to undeserving sinners move you to love him? We love because he first loved us. It will be a love that is obvious to us and it will be obvious to others. There are no closet Christians. There are no bench-warming Christians. No stay-at-home-to-worship Christians. There is only one kind of Christian, one who loves Jesus Christ and keeps His Word. And if any in here do not know Christ, not following Him, God calls you today to repent, to turn from your sin and have a holy hatred of your sin and place your faith and trust in Christ alone seeking forgiveness of your sins and submitting to Him and living a life of loving and obeying Him. That's what He has called us to, a call to love and obey. And we have God's abiding presence with us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, one of His roles is to teach us. And we recognize the hindrances, some hindrances to our understanding of the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us a reminder from your word of what it means to follow you. Thank you that you have shown so much love to your people, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And you give us hearts to love you, hearts that used to hate you to love you. And as your word says, obeying you, keeping your commandments, is showing, is proof that we love you. And we know we fall short each and every day. We are sinners saved by grace, those who know you. We need your help. We need the Holy Spirit's help as guider and teacher each and every day. Thank you that you do not leave us on our own to try to figure life out. You give us your word. You give us the ability with the help of the Holy Spirit to understand your word. And you give us teachers and preachers that we can sit and understand and better grow in your word. Help us to do so for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.